This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thanks for tuning in. If you are like most people on the planet, at one point or another, someone has said, hey, you know what? You really look like insert person here X. It's also uh, it's also often said that everyone on the planet statistically has a doppelganger. A doppel. Mm-hmm. Who's your doppel, Ben? I don't know, Noel. Uh, I, get, I get a lot of references, uh, many of which are completely whoosh moments to me, but I think I just have to accept the fact that a lot of people look like me. Really? Yeah. Well, you get a lot of like looks of recognition that you then have to process and and realize like, okay, wait, is this real or is this someone imagining that I am someone that they think I might be, but I'm actually not? Yeah, it's a good question because like a lot of people, for instance, when they say, hey, you look like this other person, they're not they're not looking at the entirety of the the face or the body or the appearance or the voice. They're looking at a specific, uh, maybe a facial feature, like a beard, for instance. That oh. happened to you, right? Oh, man. Do you know how many people with beards I get compared to? And the thing that's so weird is it's their body type or any other quality, completely irrelevant. Yeah. If they have a bushy beard or some sort of well-coiffed face mane, you know, mm-hmm. like me, then we're the same person. I uh this is I call it beard blindness. If I mentioned beard no, blindness, no, that's great. Yeah. Like face blindness, mm-hmm. but with beards, that's great, man. That's that feels like a real thing. A uh, brief anecdote for me, just how tricky it can be. Um, I had 
a long time ago, there was this uh, store I used to go to, uh, this Asian grocery store called uh, First Oriental. You know, it's down the street from the farmer's market in DeKalb. And I used to go there all the time to pick up uh, various things I would use when I was was cooking at home. And me and the, the lady who was like the proprietor got to know each other pretty well, sort of. And then one day she said, you know what? You know who you look like? And I said, I don't know who I was very interested. And she said, Bradley Cooper, which is just fundamentally false. The only thing me and that guy have in common is is, uh, maybe one or two mutual friends and the fact that we both have brown hair and maybe are genetically similar. Well, you're both smolderingly good looking. That's so kind, man. Thank you. And just to to, to help to back you up here, Ben's not uh, humble bragging there. Bradley Cooper is, in fact, the closest, best personal friend of our boss, Connell Byrne. (laughs) That's true. We can mention that on air, right? It's it's come up. (laughs) Okay, yes. Yeah, he is is with us. Defending the show against the tyranny of Cheryl Crow. Do you think Bradley Cooper has a body double, Ben? Just, you know, for walking around times? I don't know. Definitely for— uh, Do his shopping for him? Definitely for um, characters and roles he plays as an actor. A lot of actors have body doubles for stunts right. or for intimate romantic scenes. But they don't have to look the same in the face. They mainly just have to be able to look the same in profile or mm-hmm. like from behind or like from a long shot. Right, like when you see photographs of stunt doubles next to their actors, uh, you it's it's kind of a an uncanny valley thing. Yeah, it, it for sure is. And, and occasionally it's a uh, I'll say it. Occasionally it's a real life version of that. We have blank at home meme. Right, you know what I'm talking no, about. No, I don't, Ben. It's uh, I'll send you some. Okay, uh, I'll send you some. It, it, for now, we know uh, we know that you are the real Noel Brown. I am the real Ben Bolin. So far as we know, there are no body doubles involved here. I refuse to stand up, though, sir. <laughs> All right. And uh, and we know that our super producer, Paul Mission Control Decant, is himself the one, the only, except no substitutions. But today, you and I are talking about real-life body doubles, not someone who just is a victim of beard blindness. No. Not someone who uh, vaguely looks like some other person with brown hair. Not the way Casey Pegram, super producer Casey Pegram, has a secret life in France as some sort of criminal mastermind known as La Bouche. Yes, that's that's an alternate identity, right? Not the same thing as a body double. Right, he's one guy with two identities that we know of. A body double would be two separate real people who share, at least publicly, a single identity. And specifically today, we're talking about political body doubles, which, as it turns out, are pretty rare. Yeah. This is a pretty short listicle episode, but all of them are nice and beefy. A lot of good info out there about the ones that we do know of. Yeah, we brought the juice, and we wanted to be sure that we didn't get lost in some quagmire of speculation. Real quick to set this up, you know why they're increasingly rare, right? No. It's because of the rise of photography and video. Oh, that makes streaming. sense. Of so, course. You know, course. back in the 1300s, someone could walk up with a letter and say, this is a letter signed by someone else you've never met that say, I am, you know, the Archduke of Hamington Sandwich, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is maybe I'm paraphrasing. You must be. 
Um, yeah, no, it's like, there's actually a story I heard through another show that I'm working on in the music uh, space, I guess, uh, about how I think it was the Supremes or maybe it was the Commodores, a very influential, famous um, band from that era, had a uh, body double version of the band that would tour simultaneously so they could literally have two versions of the show on the road at the same time. That's crazy. Dude, this, that reminds me of uh, Morgan Freeman's voice double. We talked about this before, I think, right? Maybe not on air. No. Maybe we were just hanging out. So <laughs> Morgan Freeman has a, uh, a voice double. And, you know, he's got such an iconic, uh, iconic resonance to his voice. A lot of people want him to uh, do a read for a commercial or a cause or what, whatever. And apparently the story goes, I'd love if someone can confirm this. The story goes that he has two different kind of pricing structures. One is if you can afford the actual Morgan Freeman. But if you want the uh, more economical choice, word on the street is he has like he officially co-signs some other guy to do Morgan Freeman voices. So it's crazy. Can't get the real MF. You can go for the next best thing. I'm not trying to dog on voice actors because I know it's definitely, you know, it requires some skill. But specifically what Morgan Freeman does where he basically just is Morgan Freeman all the time, mm-hmm. that's a, kind of the height of laziness. Like it's already an easy gig just to be Morgan Freeman on mic and read some ad copy about credit card or something. But to have somebody else kind of sub in for you and get the bargain basement price, I don't know how I feel about that, Morgan Freeman. Capitalism, baby. Roll the dice. Yeah, it's it's interesting. This is such a tangent, but there's also, you know, it leads us to one of those great divisions of actors. A lot of A-list, amazing American actors are pretty much themselves in films. Christopher Walken, Al Pacino, I'll say it, Keanu Reeves, who seems like a tremendous guy. Sure does. So they have stunt doubles, but that's different. As you said, Noel, Getting to the point of our show, we do have a point today. Uh, There are political body doubles. They are much less common, perhaps, than fiction would have led us to believe. Uh, So we'd like to go through a few of these and uh, and get your take along the way. The first one was, uh, was a surprise to me. I was not very familiar with this historical character. General Bernard Montgomery, known as Monty to his friends, had a real-life body double named M.E. Clifton James. But why did he have a body double, right? He's a general. That's a big deal. So maybe it's military-related? Yeah, well, it's true. So um, let's call him Monty because we're friends. We're familiar. Uh, Monty was um, a very influential general who was responsible for a lot of the logistical planning that went into the D-Day invasion of Normandy, you know, the the big one. Mm -hmm. So... Um, they found it, they, as an MI5, found it to be a high priority to make sure that this guy was protected in every sense of the word. Ah, yes, because this is deep in the propaganda front of the war. Uh, both the Allied and Axis forces are trying to um, to trick one another with uh, the publication of fake plans. They're trying to lay some red herrings and mislead their opponents. So as you said, Noel, MI5, MI5 says this guy is a valuable asset. He's instrumental to D-Day and, and other events and we'll, we'll need him alive and at the top of his mental game. But he's just one man. And that's when they run into a man named M.E. Clifton James. M.E. Clifton James is not a general. 
He's not even British. He's an Australian actor, yes. And so MI5 approaches him, and they say, okay, we need you to do us a solid. We have a special mission for you. You are going to dress like General Montgomery. You are going to act like General Montgomery. And you are going to travel around uh, Northern Africa, right, Uh, publicly talking about Allied plans uh, within the earshot of Nazi spies who don't think we've discovered them yet. So act like this guy, act like Montgomery, and walk around saying total fake malarkey plans. Just just be like, you know, we're actually putting all of our forces in Lithuania. This reminds me of uh, the story we did about Pujol, mm-hmm. the, uh, the operative for the British intelligence agency who planted fake stories with the Germans. Yes, yeah, just so. Very, very similar tactic. We had somebody write us a very nice thing on Instagram about that too recently, right? It's it's pretty cool. These people post like cool history pictures Mm -hmm. and little captions. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, Shout out to History with Astro, A-S-T-R-O, who said that they really enjoyed our, our account of Agent Garbo. Which, which was one of that guy's many nicknames. That's right. And uh, you and I both looked through this account. I really enjoy the different snapshots that History with an Astro uh, takes, you know, little vignettes. For sure. Of yesteryear. Yeah. It, there's a lot of those kind of accounts floating around these days, and this one uh, does a really good job. Um, so back to James. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. There was a one little kink um, here. James uh, had a missing finger. He lost it during World War I, and he had a prosthetic that would help him uh, pass for Monty you know, and Mm -hmm. pull off the subterfuge. As long as he didn't have to type something, right? (laughs) Exactly. And James actually wrote an autobiography called I Was Monty's Double, um, where he said that the Nazis were so um, completely taken with his subterfuge, with with his uh, imitation, that they actually were considering assassinating him. Yeah, yeah. So – Here's specifically what he was spreading, and here's how successful he was. According to his own autobiography, he had propagated the idea that the Allied troops would be coming from southern France. So the German forces moved a ton of their troops to southern France because that's where they thought the invasion would be based uh, rather than Normandy. So this worked. We It's, it's kind of tough to say uh, how much uh, of a sway his his actions, his secret mission had on German forces, but they definitely did play a part. Now, this con, this uh, this duplicity was pretty complicated because the best way to tell a convincing falsehood is to make it very, very closely related to the truth. It has to have a verisimilitude, right? And this meant that James had to be a full-on method actor, sometimes in ways he did not appreciate. MI5 told him that he could not drink booze and he could not smoke tobacco because Montgomery didn't do that. So it could blow the whole thing wide open if you catch General Montgomery out back in an alleyway, you know, sneakily puffing on something. And additionally, the general did like breakfast, but he did not eat eggs, and he did not eat pork, and he uh, he had kind of a Spartan diet, so he wouldn't uh, use milk or sugar in his porridge. So all of that is out for James. He has to become this other person, like Dennis Reynolds says in Always Sunny in Philadelphia, to live within his skin. Indeed. Went full Leo on that business. Um, so this whole operation um, was referred to as Copperhead, and it was conceived in January of 1944 when uh, Brigadier Dudley Clark saw a movie 
that inspired him. A movie <laughs> called Five Graves to Cairo. Right, right. This, this actor, Miles Mander, uh, Dudley Clark sees him playing a British officer, and he thinks, well, heck, that guy looks a lot like General Montgomery. And this is a different guy from M.E. James. Here's how it goes down. He says, Dudley, that is, says, this guy will be a great body double. And so he develops this concept, but then they meet a huge snag. They arrange a meeting with Miles Mander in person, and then they say, oh, no. Way too tall. Way too tall. General Montgomery, you see, is a bit bantam. He is five foot six. Bantam, you say? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Technically, it means uh, kind of a small chicken, but... It's also a weight class in boxing. Uh-huh, bantamweight. Yeah, uh-huh. And it also uses, it's slangily used to refer to people of diminutive stature with combative disposition. This has been Vocabulary Corner with Ben and Noel. Bantam. Bantam. I love that word. So, yeah, dude's a little short. He's a little prince-like, a little Napoleonic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, so, so they say, okay, that's not going to work. Everyone will clock that immediately if they meet him in person, and a true body double has to be effective in person. So they can't find any other actors, and they think maybe this, maybe it's just not in the cards for us to pull off this coup. Until, that is... A guy named Stephen Watts, who's an MI5 officer, happens across a photo of a British Army lieutenant named Emmy Clifton James, who is dressed as the general for a stage show. Weird. Weird, right? So many weird little happenstancey things mm-hmm. that happen here. Uh, and this guy was sort of a lesser-known Australian actor, sort of a Toast of London type character. Uh, he was 46, so he was, you know, it wasn't happening for him. But he, he had been in this production, and uh, they— he then was assigned to the Royal Army Pay Corps and was based in Leicester, not Leicester, like you think it would be pronounced when you look no, at it on paper. It's a tricky one. It's a really but, it's but like you know. Worcester in Massachusetts. But it's almost like I think I, I I'm still going to get yelled at even because I said it wrong, even though I said it right. I said that I wanted to say it wrong, and that's just as bad as saying it wrong. Nah, man, lean into it. All right. I it's will. a living language. So Lester is where he's based, working for the Army, Royal Army Pay Corps, uh, and he kind of did little side gigs as as an actor on the side, you know, when he wasn't, when he had free time. Mm-hmm. Um, that Watts and Clark made this happen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Stephen Watts and Dudley Clark uh, put this Operation Copperhead into motion, and it worked. As we said, Emmy James had to go full Daniel Day-Lewis and assume the role of Montgomery. Uh, it wasn't super pleasant for him, but by gosh, by golly, by gum, he did it and pulled it off successfully. This was uh, This was admitted by General Montgomery himself. On May 8th, 1963, Emmy Clifton James died. He was 65 years old when the general received word. He said, he performed a very useful purpose at a very dark time of the war. What he did completely fooled the Germans. Is that your Churchill voice? It's No, no, no. Churchill voice is way more rip-roaring and offensive. That's just sort of your your general British uh, official voice? And you'll notice this guy's voice changed. <laughs> He's got two different voices here. Yeah. Uh, so so the general totally co-signs this, but we have to ask ourselves, did he completely fool the Germans? I, it would seem so. 
It, for his part, yeah. But there were, this was one of several other operations going on. Because, right? again, our guy Pujol was, was heavy, heavily involved in this kind of campaign of deception as well. On, it was another operation, but they were happening in, in tandem because both revolved around D-Day and the planning of D-Day and making sure the Germans did not know where it was going to happen. Absolutely. Where they were going to invade on the beach. So on a, on a 1 to 10 success scale for this body double, this doppelganger, I got to say, man, a 10, especially considering that he had to wear a fake finger and he still pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Wait, how did that work out? Were they, they just like the general doesn't shake hands. Exactly. Right, that, makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Howie Mandel doesn't shake hands. He's a, he's a notorious germaphobe, right? That's right. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. a fist bumper all day. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. This episode is brought to you by Discover. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. 
so this is one of those rare cases of a proven, documented, successful body double, but it's not the only one. Uh, we'll stay roughly within the same time period, give or take a few decades, and let's travel across the Iron Curtain. Noel, why are we going to Russia for the next story? Why wouldn't we? We've both been watching Chernobyl. I mean, it seems like an obvious place to go. It seems like a great place. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a learning opportunity. It really is. Um, no, the, another famous body double, or one that we know of at least, uh, was one belonging to, I guess you could say, Joseph Stalin. Yeah, yeah, Joseph Stalin, uh, one-time leader of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, or USSR, and uh, by all accounts, a real pill. A real pill, and nearing the end of his life especially, mm-hmm. very paranoid. I mean, it seems like Soviet culture sort of engenders that overall, like with the KGB and everyone feeling like they're followed and tapping phones. And what, is, what do they say? Uh, confirm or trust but verify? Yes. That's sort of the doctrine of the KGB or of, like, Russian intelligence in general. So it basically means trust no one. So – there's so many strange facts about this guy. First off, uh, we still have people arguing about when his actual birthday is. He was born Yosef Vissarionovich Zhugashvili, uh, and I am woefully mispronouncing that. Uh, and then when he was, <laughs> thanks, Noel. Thanks for that slow clap. Uh, and then when he was in his 30s, he changed his name to Stalin because it means man of steel. Got a nice ring to it. The balls on this guy. Seriously, you know, brass. Like, no, steel. <laughs> the steel, the steel on this guy. Uh, so during his time, during the Second World War, he, of course, became concerned that someone would attempt to assassinate him. And the predecessors of the KGB, the Soviet secret police, started recruiting people to be decoys, more or less, for Stalin. So he had like a team of doubles. Yeah, he had a gang. Mm-hmm. He, really he had a doppelgang. That's good, Ben. That's all right. Seven out of ten. I liked it. Thank you. I would have given it an eight point five. <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind. Uh, so yeah, we we looked into this, and the thing is that he was given these political decoys in World War II, but it is widely suspected that he kept them employed for the rest of his life. Right. There's also um, some conjecture that he faked his own death, and that it was one of these decoys in his coffin. Mm-hmm. Which which that would imply that he had to have them killed in his place? I don't Pretty think, cold-blooded. I don't think that would be a problem for him. No, though. I don't think so either. I think it would just be another Tuesday. Self-sacrifice. But I'm telling you, I'm so steeped in Chernobyl right now. Yeah. To serve, what is it, to serve the USSR? Uh-huh. Yeah. What was the, um, what was, there was that film that came out maybe a year ago or so. The Death of Stalin. That's it. It's fantastic. It's great. Highly Jeffrey recommended. Uh, is in it. And, um, wait, does he play, St- he doesn't play Stalin. Um, Steve Buscemi plays Khrushchev, mm-hmm. and the whole kind of, you know, gimmick of the movie, it's not a gimmicky movie at all, this, this totally isn't an issue, uh, everyone just has their own accent, no one uses Russian accent, Steve Buscemi as Khrushchev sounds just like Steve Buscemi as Steve Buscemi, it's fantastic. Yes. I recommend it so highly. It's it's the guy, um, uh, what's his name, Iannucci, um, who is the creator of Veep, mm-hmm. and another political series, it's a British political series, but it's just really sharp, really funny. And really disturbing, and it really shows this whole culture of paranoia. I don't remember if the doubles played into it or not, or if that came uh, up in the film. I don't remember either. I need to rewatch it. But it's, I do too. It totally nails that gallows humor, the paranoia. 
Uh, and it is based on fact. Uh, we could do an entire episode about the weird death of Stalin now, now that it's in question. Uh, so during his rise to power, he implemented numerous murder plots against people who are citizens of the Soviet Union. Anyone who opposed him would go to a fake trial and be executed. or a kangaroo court? Right. Or they would just disappear. And he kind of functioned under a sort of unfortunate self-fulfilling prophecy. He was a man convinced that he was surrounded by enemies and his behavior created a, a roster of people who very much wanted him dead or knew that their lives would be easier if he was out of the picture. Uh, we know for sure that he had at least two body doubles that he called political decoys, uh, but there, there, may have been, there may have been many more. Uh, one, uh, one is named Rashid. That's even now in 2019, that's all we know about the guy is his, like his first name. Yeah, we also know of a man named Felix Dadiev, um, who was another one of the one of his body doubles who we are aware of. And here's the thing: um, it's tough to prove that any political leader used a body double. It is. It is because uh, they would not want that information out there. This is not something they would want to broadcast. It's also kind of. It's not embarrassing exactly, but it certainly tips your hand if, if it's like a, a known thing. It removes all effectiveness. Absolutely. All efficacy of the plan. Yeah. So we, di- we don't find out about Rashid and Felix for a long, long time. Rashid actually dies in 1991 at age 93. So the double outlived the original. But because we know more about Felix Dadiev, uh, maybe we can explore his story a little. Similar to Amy James at least in my opinion, he was like an actor trying to make it happen, right? Oh, get this though, dude. It, Felix Dadiev didn't even, it, it didn't come out officially that he um, had been one of, I believe, at the very least four of Stalin's doubles that we know of until April, until 2008. So, yeah. I mean, this is pretty new information. Uh, and I believe Dadiev got permission, special permission from Putin himself to be able to come out with this information mm-hmm. for his own purposes so he could, like, write a book about it. Yeah, and he was 88. So yeah, Knowing what we know about Russia, though, wouldn't you think? I would have thought that Putin would have said, no, sir. It was a different time, yeah, you know? I guess so. Um, it, w- it was a different time, and also that kind of, that kind of information, when it comes out, is useful for them. It becomes a situation where you want people to know. It makes them look clever. Fool you. Mm-hmm, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so Dadiev, uh, during the time that the Second World War breaks out, is an actor, an illusionist, and a magician. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So he was all set to travel to the UK as a member of the State Singing and Dance Band of Ukraine. Snappy name. Mm-hmm. But uh, when the war broke out, he got reassigned to a concert brigade, so entertaining the troops. Sort of like what we have in the States with the USO, where, you know, to entertain the troops, keep morale up and all of that. Exactly. However, in the Soviet military, if you're a soldier, you're a soldier, you're a soldier, meaning that he still had to fight. While juggling and and doing magic tricks. And doing illusions. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, and dancing. He had it harder than any of them. He was was a triple threat that was pressed into quadruple threat status. Yeah, and this, this, you know, uh, eventually led to him being quite badly injured in 1942. Right. Uh, During the Russian liberation of Grozny, uh, his family is notified that he has died. 
But here's what actually happened. In 1943, he's flown to a small cottage near Moscow, and the secret police tell him that he needs to forge a new identity as Stalin's body double. So they're capitalizing on the fact that he's been reported as dead, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's great. It all works out. He's a ghost at this point. Mm -hmm. So no one's going to look for a ghost. Exactly, exactly. So he starts training to become the spitting image of Stalin, both in appearance and behavior. The problem is that this guy at this point is in is in his, what, his mid-20s or something? Yeah. And Stalin is 60 years old, looks at, at, road at, hard at, at and put very, away yes, wet. at the very least. So they really have to implement some serious, like, uh, you know, prosthetics and movie magic kind of stuff to really age this guy. And so he watches uh, repeated... Uh, repeated samples of Stalin's public speeches, of his ambulatory habits, just how he's walking, how he sits. It really is the way you hear method actors work, you know, or like training to portray someone in a film. You go through every possible archival, you know, piece of footage that you can, and you learn their mannerisms. You learn the way they move and the way that their facial expressions are, any tics that they have, you know, any kind of tells. Really, really interesting. This is so wild. Okay, so his his first gig uh, is is pretty intimidating. He is tasked to stand in for Joseph Stalin at the Kremlin, and the idea was that if he can convince ministers and committee leaders that he is actually Stalin, then he can officially be employed as a political decoy, and it worked. It worked so well that they sent him to talk to other international leaders, right? That's true. He went to Yalta uh, to meet with Franklin D. Roosevelt. This is so cool that we have so much information about everything that he actually did straight from his his mouth uh, and with the approval of the state, no less. Um, Yeah, he met with Roosevelt and Winston Churchill to discuss the reorganization of Europe after the war. And here's the thing. He had sort of a cross purpose here. Um, He was meant to be a decoy that allowed the real Stalin to land in Yalta and not be noticed. So he was sort of like a decoy in a separate plane, um, made made his exit, and then the real Mm -hmm. Stalin was, you know, landed elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So he said that he had – had he not impressed the chief of the secret police or Stalin's personal head of security details, he probably would have been shot. He believes that because they couldn't let – the political decoy story be in the news at all. Even so, if the guy was an unsuccessful audition, right? Then they can't have him walking around looking like Stalin, have, knowing all these intimate details. Because he was successful, he was forced to sign an NDA or non-disclosure agreement that prevented him from saying anything about his role as Stalin's body double. Uh, for decades after Stalin's death in 1953. He was also never able to tell his family that he was alive. He could never tell them what he was doing for the Soviet government. And this was so ironclad that when Stalin died and they never and they needed no more body doubles, uh, he had to create an entirely different identity for himself. And that's how we came to know the musician Tom Waits. Exactly. And here's the funny thing too, Ben. Yeah. Um, when I think of a double, 
like I think of them as like buddies, like hanging out and stuff. You know, I don't know why. <laughs> that's where too. my that's where my mind goes. Yeah, yeah. Not the case, my friends. Not the case. Uh, Felix only met Stalin one time in his entire life, and near the end of Stalin's life uh, in 1953. Um, and uh, there's a fantastic article on HistoryCollection.co that goes through a lot of this uh, chronology called "The Strange Life of Joseph Stalin's Body Double" by Donna Patricia Ward, and she quotes this from this from this meeting, um, saying that Stalin uh, quote again. This is from the autobiography. Quote smiled and gave me an approving nod. And that was it. I told you what, I told you, hey, man, validated. You don't want to talk to that guy. No, probably not. People will die. Absolutely. And can you imagine how, I mean, you could almost have a heart attack from being in the same room with that guy and just making eye contact. Seriously. If he smiles and nods, that's it. That's, you got what you came for. You're a ghost now. Disappear. Don't let him see you again. He might change his mind. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off the that's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. This episode is brought to you by Discover. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising, one with smaller ships, 
bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. So now we've upped the stakes because now we have a guy who has multiple body doubles. Uh, We have one more example for today, which is much more recent Mm -hmm. and even even uh goes a little past our usual caveat we usually try to keep things you know in the 93 yeah yeah because of the gorilla because of apartheid yeah so we that is true check out our episode where we pretty much spontaneously decided that yeah i still feel good about it i am totally fine with it it was the right call on our part uh so now we're journeying to the middle east iraq specifically this is the story of Saddam Hussein. Like Yosef Stalin, Saddam Hussein apparently used more than one body double. Before the war, many people in Iraq said they could tell the real Saddam from one of his multiple lookalikes, not by watching him but or the person pretending to be him, but by watching his bodyguards, which were around him at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, Saddam um, was reported to have had a, a veritable uh, menagerie, a harem. I don't know. What do you call a group of employees? None of those words apply very doppelgang well. Doppelgang is still, I feel. Oh, they're, they're <laughs> the total doppelgang. Yeah, he really did. He had multi multiples while he ruled uh, Iraq. And this is according to U.S. intelligence. So you had mentioned earlier, Ben, that there was some there were some tells that the bodyguards uh, would have that would kind of let folks know who knew what to look for, mm-hmm. whether they were dealing with the real article, the real deal, or, you know, one of these one of these copycats. Yeah, yeah. So if the bodyguards appeared a little too casual or if they appeared to laugh at jokes or something, a lot of Iraqis took that as a tip-off that they were not guarding the real Saddam because they just – they wouldn't be that chill and relaxed if it was the, the genuine article. Another tell um, from the Washington Times, Washington Times reports in an article called The Fate of Saddam's Lookalikes Remains Unknown, um, was the fact that Saddam himself was a big fan of close-ups. Very, oh, yeah. very vain guy. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, this, is, this is the same guy, by the way, who was a fairly prolific author of romance novels. Mm-hmm. Erotic fiction, dare we say. Yeah, which were like... Sex mysteries, yeah, sex as, our, mysteries. as our, friend, our friend Rowan Newby would say. <laughs> yes, that's a that's a one of uh, that's one of our new favorite idioms or expressions. We gotta we gotta bring that into the fold on air. But yes, he he loved a close up. He was a bit of a ham. The problem is that when you have a lookalike, you need to keep a distance. Totally, it shatters the illusion. Because again, this is one that's much more in the era of constant around the clock 24-hour news cycle you know right because now we're in the digital age and streaming video can be uh transported across the planet very easily so there are more opportunities to determine whether someone is a, a body double people were so concerned about this and i love that you mentioned u.s intelligence earlier Noel. people were so concerned about this that when saddam hussein was captured in 2003 then Defense Secretary Donald H. Rumsfeld said, okay, we need to figure out if we have the the real guy, 
You know what I mean? Or if we just have some hapless person who is forced to be Saddam Hussein. Well, surely, based on what we know about these doubles, they wouldn't have been so hapless, right? It would have been almost a privilege. For many, it seems to be. Like, Felix Dadiev strikes me as, as someone who made a patriotic decision. So did Emmy James. So we can only imagine it, it would be it would be similar, right? So Rumsfeld was so concerned about this that he demanded they do DNA testing. Because, you know, some of these body doubles have probably spent decades at this point mirroring the real deal. Totally. And I do want to back down my previous statement. A lot of these folks were, in fact, forced to do this. There's a film called The Devil's Double that came out in 2011 that kind of looks at the uh, Saddam Hussein regime through the eyes of a double that was meant for his son, Uday, who was a, a real piece of work. Himself. In his own right. Yeah, big time. And and uh, this man was forced to do this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I've seen that film. Uh, so Rumsfeld, you know, he's so paranoid about this that he demands they collect DNA. And he accepted it finally as 99 point something percent proof positive that this was the genuine Saddam Hussein. Mm. And he also emphasized, he said, look, when we caught him, Saddam Hussein admitted his identity and several of his former cabinet members confirmed he wasn't a body double. But his body doubles were were so um, dedicated to this job that they had undergone plastic surgery and they could have even had things like tattoos, bullet holes or moles that would make them appear to look even more like the leader. And as you, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned Uday Hussein. That's his oldest son, right? That's right. So his body double, a guy in real life named Latif Yahia, uh, Y-A-H-I-A. They were school chums, I believe. Yeah, right? they went to school, right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he, like all Iraqi citizens at the time, had mandatory military service as part of growing up. So in 1988, he is enlisted non-consensually to be Uday's body double. And then he said it was pretty, he said Uday was a psychopath. Yeah, there's even a story where uh, from a former Iraqi soccer player by the name of Shahar Haydar, who said that during a match with Jordan, um, the team lost and he personally was dragged um, across the ground with two other players, and then they uh, were forced to take their shirts off, and they tied their feet together and pulled their knees over a bar while they were on their back, and then they dragged them across the concrete, peeling the skin off of their backs, and then they would force them to get in a sand pit, so there would be sand in the wounds on them. Really, really, really psychotic, grisly stuff. They even made them climb a ladder and jump into a vat of raw sewage with these open wounds, uh, and it was the idea that, like, they would... They would do that to them until they won. Seems like really good motivation there. Let's talk a little bit about Uday Hussein. Uh, writing for The Guardian, Suzanne Goldenberg um, looks into this guy's behavior in life, and he's incredibly dangerous and imbalanced. He was a sadist with a taste for cruelty so extreme that his father had to say, this kid is not a worthy heir. He's a real Joffrey Lannister type figure. Totally. Yeah, 100% on that. Uh, so he, uh, when he was overseeing these soccer teams, he apparently kept a private torture scorecard where he Jesus. would write instructions on how many times someone should be beaten uh, according to how they performed in a losing game. 
Uh, he was a notorious uh, sexual predator. Uh, he would order any girl or woman who caught his eye to be brought to his private pleasure doom. Mm. Uh, so this was this was a place with um, it was on his father's estate with indoor fountains, big erotic murals, uh, HIV testing facilities, and huge stashes of drugs. He had another just straight up torture chamber secreted somewhere away on the banks of the Tigris. He shot one of his uncles in the leg in 1988. He bludgeoned his father's bodyguard to death in front of people at a party. <laughs> and yeah, it was just worse and worse and worse. So I would hate to be his body double. Oh, I, absolutely. I, I almost would rather, I don't know, it's tough to say. I kind of want to see the film. Uh, I have not seen it. I've just read a little bit about it. Uh, so I understand that it's pretty visceral and uh, a lot of the stuff is dealt with. Um, and this person is basically like living in fear of his own life. Not to mention the fact that he is being a body double for a man who is universally despised. Uh, yeah. And probably people gunning for him all the time. Great point. Do people know that... He's not the real Uday because he's not killing people at parties. That's a very dubious distinction. Yeah, so eventually Uday passes away in July of 2003. Uh, he had already at this point been imprisoned several times, been exiled several times, and even received a, a kind of sort of death sentence from his father's government. Um, so our thoughts go out to anybody – to, especially to Latif, uh, who, anybody who had to be a body double for someone that violent and destructive. And these are – so these are just three examples of real-life proven body doubles. I guess we could say four examples because, you know, we're two Husseins deep at yeah. this point. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are many, many more alleged uh, body doubles. That's right. A guy named Joe R. Reeder, who served as undersecretary for the U.S. Army, um, gave an interview with Fox News in 01, where he kind of intimated that, that there were some others that he knew of. He said uh, Osama bin Laden likely had one, which makes a lot of sense, uh, being that he was so um, doggedly being hunted by the U.S. military. Uh, and also Manuel Noriega. Um, what, are, what are some other ones, Ben? Oh, well, of course, there's uh, Fidel Castro, uh, I don't know if I was body double level, but I did a pretty good Castro costume one Halloween. Really? In yesteryears. Yes. Yeah. I have the jacket for it and the hat. That's mainly what it is. God, you need a really nice square beard and, yeah. a, and a cigar. And I could grow I could grow beards pretty quickly. Nice. Offensively. That's so. a superpower, dude. It's a very inconvenient superpower because I'm a guy who likes to drink milkshakes and eat soup. <laughs> And I just can't – okay, I have immense respect for you, man. You have a great beard. I don't know if you guys know this about my co-host here, but uh, he has a he has a fantastic and well-coiffed beard. No, they know because of beard blindness from the top of the show, remember? Yeah, but we need to we need to ah, reemphasize. Thanks for, thanks for yeah. big up in my yeah. beard. Um, here's some other ones that aren't body doubles. Winston oh. Churchill mm -hmm. was reported – and you could have been this guy, Ben, honestly. That's very good. You do such a good, uh, such a good impersonation. Yeah, used a voice impersonator. Um, a man named Norman Shelley to do these, like, again, it's sort of like what we were talking about with Morgan Freeman, yep. just kind of like laziness. Like, he, he he didn't want to do those morning breakfast chats every day, so he, was he had someone else. To, he was probably tanked, right? Yeah. Or hungover. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Uh, then an aide to Henry Kissinger has been on record saying that um, when Kissinger went to China on a secret mission to China in 71, he used an impersonator at least one time. So is this, okay, here's my question. Is, we had earlier talked about 
what a what a rich person's toy a blimp must be. Like you own a blimp, yeah. Then you I'm, know you're blimp rich. You're yeah, you're blimp rich. You're frivolously, possibly offensively wealthy. Blimp rich is a funny thing to say. It sounds like its own word. It sounds somehow like a curse word. It does, <laughs> but but I love it. So I'm 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 thinking that having your own body double is another one of those rarefied luxuries of billionaires and the elite. You know what I mean? Totally. I'm supposed to take the blimp out to the Bilderberg conference, but I, I believe I'll send my body double. Here's the thing, though. It only matters if it has to be you, right? Otherwise, it's just called a servant. <laughs> That's true. You know, or like yeah. an assistant or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Someone just to go do errands, be a runner for you. So you have to not only be wealthy, you have to kind of be pretty damn important and need to have a lot of face time that either you don't feel like doing or yeah. that could actually put you in danger. And there have been many other body doubles or alleged body doubles throughout history. Uh, there, there was even a Mexican politician, Renato Tronco Gomez, who – held a national competition in 2015 to try to find the best candidates to be his body doubles, which might defeat the purpose. And I think uh, in China, this may still be going on, uh, wealthy people who are sentenced to serve time in prison or jail, uh, they can engage in the practice of hiring what's called a replacement convict. So you get sentenced, you get a guilty plea, but then you just pay someone else to go to jail for you. Must be nice. I don't want anyone to go to jail. Or I hope no one goes to jail. You're a good person, Ben. You got a kind heart. That's very, that's a, that's very kind of you to say. Uh, And this is our episode. No, I have to ask, you know. You don't have to. I I feel compelled to ask. Do you, uh, do you have any uh, body double observations or doppelganger observations that, with which you agreed? Did someone ever say something like, hey, you know, you, you kind of look like or sound like, doesn't have to be face, you, you also maybe sound like this person you agreed and said it wasn't just the beard? You know what comes up a lot? It's really weird. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard this multiple times from listeners writing in. They say that I sound like Dwight from The Office. I've heard that. Too. I don't hear it. I don't get it. And I love The Office, and I like yeah. Dwight, but I don't know what it is. I don't I've know. only really seen the British version of The Office. Oh, the American version's great. That's what I hear. Yeah. I hear great things. Yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe uh, I can make a call on that when I'm more familiar with it. But yeah, we have received several emails regarding that. Yeah. Michael, no, that's not. See, now I'm doing. I'm doing uh, Job from Arrested Development. Oh yeah, I don't even know. Who still reminds me very. I'm going to say it. I know it's not his favorite thing. Um, you may be aware. We're all kind of a big family here and how stuff works. Uh, one of our producers, brilliant guy, friend of the show and personal friend of mine named Chandler Mays, always freaks me out by how much he resembles the actor who plays Job in Arrested Development. He does a little bit. I can see No, that. it's not so much in the face. It's the swag. It's the mannerism. Yeah, yeah. It's the love of illusion. It's very true. <laughs> it's a very big, big, uh, big sweeping hand movements. Um, I agree with that. Uh, well, this has been our episode, and I think it was a pretty good one. I don't know if I do say so myself. Yes, yeah. I don't want to get too big here. I don't want to, you know, get... Get too m- big, league. No. Mm-mm. Yeah, when um, I, I have a meeting... Uh, with the other Ben Bolin uh, later this weekend, and I think he'll be he'll be really glad to know that this went well. Uh, in the meantime, we'd like to hear from you. Do you ever get a? Uh, <laughs> let's all be nice to each other on the internet. Do you ever get uh, uh, repeated comparisons, either in your voice, your mannerisms, or your appearance? And if so, uh, do you agree with that? Do you have like? Do you have like? 
38 people a day tell you that you look like Natalie Portman. You know who I had a long time? Tell, I had a very difficult time tell, differentiating for mm-hmm. years. Natalie Portman and, um, oh, Paul, what's her name? Kira Knightley? Yeah, I can see that. It looks similar. Yeah, well, that's on me. Maybe I have face blindness. Do you remember the show The Adventures of Pete and Pete? I'm familiar with it. Yeah, huge fan. Um, there was a character on it called Endless Mike, who uh-huh. was kind of a bully. And for the longest time, I thought that was young Sam Rockwell. I remember you mentioned this and earlier. It's, it's, and then yeah. some friends of some friends of ours uh, who are also big fans of the show thought the same thing. Well, maybe you're on to something. Uh, let us know. Let us know your favorite doppelganger lookalike or body double stories. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, for Facebook, we highly recommend checking out our favorite part of the show, your fellow listeners, on our page, Ridiculous Historians. Yeah, and if you want to find uh, me individually on Instagram, you can look me up at Brown. And if you want to find me on Instagram, I believe most recently I was looking into the problematic past of Belgian comic strips at the Belgian Comic Strip Museum. That Instagram is at Ben Bolin. And if you don't want to do any of that stuff, you can just send us an email. We do have one. It is ridiculous at iHeartRadio.com. And, of course, as always, thanks to our super producer, Paul. Um, mm. Standing in for super producer Casey Pegram. Lebouche. Like a champ. Uh, thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Thanks to Gabe Lucier, who um, helped us put this episode together, thanks, research-wise. Yeah, thanks to Christopher Hasiotis, because we, <laughs> we just like to thank him in general. Uh, Jonathan Strickland, the quizster, can go right to hell. Uh, th- thanks to Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. the quizster. Uh, thanks so much to you for listening. And Noel, thank you for being you. You know, if you are a body double right now, I will say that you are doing a top-notch job. I do. I take my work very seriously. See you later, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This episode is brought to you by Discover. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. 
True story, the intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com.